Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. And welcome this morning, and glad to have you together. Would you turn in your Bibles? Let's dig in. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Welcome again, all those joining online and our on-site church family here today. We are ramping up to a series next week that I will, uh, just a few weeks just leading up a little bit closer to the Christmas season, dealing with, and it's a subject that has to deal with family, but it's dealing with spiritual family, and I'll initiate that next week. But today I really wanted to address this topic from Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to give a little bit of a background to Acts 1 before we start into it. Jesus here has ascended to be with the Father. His 33 years on earth uh, is over in that regard. He's ascended to be with the Father. He's given His Holy Spirit to indwell those who by faith believe in Him. And in Acts chapter 1, we have here the gathering of 120 believers. It's the first church. 120 believers getting together, and they need to fill in a gap. They need to do some church business. It's, if you would, it's their annual business meeting, probably the first one. So I guess you can't call it the annual business meeting. You could just call it the business meeting because the next year would be the annual business meeting. And they meet together, but they got some business they need to tend to, and here's the business. Judas is dead. He was the 12th disciple. And there's 11 of them, and they need to pick one more. That's the business. We need one more. And so Peter takes charge. Let's read it now. Acts chapter 1, if you have it, follow along with me in verse 21. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Verse 23. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Okay, just pause here for a second. Everybody say Barsabbas. He's number one. Everybody say Matthias. These are the two guys. This is where our whole topic around this morning is going to center. You've got Barsabbas, Matthias. Okay, let's continue. Verse 24. Then Peter prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Verse 26. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. That's our text today. Father in heaven, I just ask, help us to understand the significance of this process in Jesus' name. You remember your first job interview? Or any job interview? (laughs) Do you remember the prep, getting ready, probably knowing you were one of how many? that are going to be interviewed for that same job? How are you going to rise to the top? How are you going to get that person's attention? Will that be one interview? Will it be a succession of interviews? You hope it will. You hope you're called back the second time. Was there a conversation on the phone? Was there correspondence back and forth? Were you recommended? Did you just like throw your name in? Did you just show up? How did you get to that point? And everything that goes around the job interview and going and the jitters and you arrive early and try to figure out what should I dress and you went through your wardrobe how many times to figure it out? You know, you don't want to be too presumptuous. You don't want to look too this, right? And you're all that stuff for that interview. And maybe you've been through multiple interviews. Maybe some of you have never had a job interview. Count your blessings. Interviews can be very draining. So here you have a couple of people. They are in a job interview. Matthias and Barsabbas. Everybody say Matthias Matthias. and Barsabbas. Barsabbas. Not common names. 
They're not common names. We don't typically talk of these names. You may, may not have heard any preaching on these guys. Matthias and Barsabbas. So these two men probably arrived early, anticipating the possibility of this new position. What's the new position? To be an apostle. To be one of the twelve. I mean, there are many disciples, but there are only a few apostles. Now, the job posting did have an oddity. It's worth mentioning. The last person who occupied your job killed himself. Don't know how that makes you feel, but it doesn't probably inspire you too much. He killed himself in relation to his job. So that could have been a warning, but it didn't seem to dis- deter-, deter Matthias and Barsabbas that day. They knew what the office was about. They understood the implications of what they were doing, and they were still willing to be one of the twelve. One of them that day would fill Judas's spot. The apostles would be 12 strong. They wouldn't be 13 strong. You can't have both of them. There's only 12 that can be there. One gets chosen, one goes home. Kind of like a reality show, isn't it? One's chosen, the rest, goodbye, you go home. One of the two would end up an apostle with the signature pillar in heaven forever as an apostle. And the other would go back to his seat. He's the odd man out. So Peter stands up. He takes charge. They're in the upper room. It's the early church. In the upper room, and in this apostolic vacancy, Peter begins to speak to the situation. He calls them to order, and he says, now, we need to pick one person to fill this position, and by the way, guys, we knew this was going to happen because he had obviously had somebody bring him up to speed that this had been prophesied. It had been prophesied this would actually take place. They didn't know how it was going to look. But Peter, if you were to go back to verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago, through the mouth of David. Wow, we're talking way back. Concerning Judas. Now, David didn't name him as Judas, but concerning Judas, David prophesied. David spoke. There would come an incident regarding a betrayer. And this serves as as a guide. And so let's slide down to verse 20. Peter says, It is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. It was prophesied. So Peter brings this to their attention. He brings them up to speed about the events, the procedure, the rules and order of procedure of this particular choice. The criteria for being a replaced a replacement apostle is very clear, it's very simple. Applicants needed to have been among the disciples right from the time of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan until the time of his ascension. It wasn't just the 12 that followed him all that time. You would read throughout the scriptures, there was multitudes of people. There were many who followed. We know that 70 had been sent out. Jesus sent out 70, and those 70 had been following. So it wasn't just 12. It was 70, and it was more than that, that were following along. And so the criteria, who's qualified? Let's look at the qualification list. Okay, qualified. Who is here when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River? When John the Baptist baptized him. And if you weren't, If you weren't part of that, you're not in the running. Now your numbers are down. And then you had to have been a follower for the last three and a half years. You trekked, you went in and out of the communities, you were there for the miracles, you were there when he was uh, assaulted by the uh, people, the religious leaders, you were there the whole time, right up till when he ascended to be with. Who was there? And they began to pick and choose, and they came down to a group of people. We don't know how many that was. And then out of that, they began to believe, okay, which people stand out? And they came down to two. Now they're down to Matthias and Barsabbas. That was the procedure to bring them to this moment. Several were qualified, but now two stand out. Two would be where the choice is made. And they did the right thing here. They decide, let's let God have the final vote. 
And so they prayed, and we did this in our text. Verse 24, they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Lord, you know people's heart. God's criteria goes deeper than yours and mine. You and I will only ever know what we see and hear of the person. We will see the external. We will look at maybe things that they have done. You might do a reference check on finding out how, how did they do in their job. Were they efficient? Were they? And you, you begin to learn a lot of things through references. As many of us who do hiring, you know that it's the people who aren't the ones they put down for references you need to talk to too. It's the, the bosses, it's the co-workers, it's the peers, it's the ones who were alongside. Maybe they were a leader, it's the ones who worked under them. Talk to them, find out some of the things, and you won't get consistency across the board, but it will begin to paint a picture of the person that you are interviewing. And so, that's us. But God is God. He looks right into the heart and the attitudes and the motives, and He gets past all that other stuff. And so that's their prayer. They said, okay, we, these two are equal and they both are qualified. But Lord, this is your idea. This is your plan. You know the heart. Which one do you want? That's a good, it's a good thing, isn't it? We want God's heart. We want what well, we can't see. So God, you see the heart. So you show us who God you want. So as customs dictate, they made the prayer. They prayed. And then they would cast lots. And in the process of the casting of lots there would be one that would rise up, that God would choose. The casting of lots was very simple. Two names were written. It was done one of two ways, and I'm not, I don't know. They don't tell us which way they did it. Either two names were written, one on each stone, or there were two separate pieces of parchment. The names were written. We don't know which one, but that was the way lots were done back then. They would then take the names, and they would put it into an urn, similar to putting a name in the hat today. Then they would call... Someone who is trustworthy from the congregation to come forward to reach into the urn or, as we would say, draw from the hat. They would pull that out, and this would be God's choice. So a person came forward, they pulled the name out. The room would have been dead silent, not unlike this room. And the name was selected. They read it. Matthias. Matthias. Now, I doubt if any balloons fell. <laughs> I doubt if the band started up. Okay, I really doubt that. Um, but I do believe that there was congratulations all around. I believe that there was probably hugs and slaps on the back and way to go. Good job. You know, I knew it would be you. You know, that kind of stuff. Is that fair to say? He would have been congratulated and rightfully so. But here's the point of what I want to share this morning. The point of my message, my title. What about when God picks someone else and it's not you? Okay. What about when God picks someone else? Hmm. We could all rejoice with Matthias and we want to celebrate, but what about the one who told, sit back down? Oh yeah, thank you for all those Years of service. Thank you for being with them. Thank you for going and being faithful. Thank you for your diligence. Thank you for your loyalty. By the way, God, God didn't choose you. You tracking with me here? Can you, read, can you see that in the story? I don't think I'm making too much of it. I'm sure if, if they were here, he'd probably, you know, if Barsabbas was here, he'd probably say, you're making too much of it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't know. But the title of my message is when God picks someone else. When you're the second person. It was the character that got Barsabbas this far. But sorry Barsabbas, God has chosen someone else. It's time for Matthias to move on with the twelve in all the apostolic duties of the day. And it was time for Barsabbas to quietly go back to your seat. Even today... Even today, ask any person who Barsabbas is. <laughs> ask him, now you know, but ask an average person, who's Barsabbas? And you'll get kind of, uh, isn't he the guy that Pilate let go in the place of Jesus? 
And you go, no, 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 that's Barabbas. Okay, Barsabbas. Oh, Barsabbas. Yeah, isn't he the one who traveled with the apostle Paul and with Silas on the missionary journeys? No, that's Barnabas. We don't talk about Barsabbas. He, he sat down. He sat down. He's not in the 12 anymore. I think there's something that is fundamental, and I think this is timely. When we are not picked, when we're not in that group, when we have prayed, when we've believed, and we don't make the God cut. I mean, it's one thing if, I mean, if it's just people, well, they're a bunch of jerks. They, if they're going to pick that person over me, let them have them. But this was God who picked it. We can't say that when it's God because he knows the heart. And so God looked into the heart and we're going, well, what was wrong with me? What was wrong with me, God? And, I, and I'm thinking about this, and maybe we could, if Barsabbas sat down, if I was to go and sit with Barsabbas and, and chat with him, maybe go for dinner afterward because I'm feeling for him. I'm feeling for him. He's not in the 12 anymore. He's been faithful all these years. He didn't get picked. And, and yeah, we're making a big deal out of it, but Barsabbas, I came up with three things maybe Barsabbas could take away. This is the three points this morning. Number one, Barsabbas, the best things that happen in life are sometimes the things that do not happen. Now, when it happens, it never feels like, that's not usually very consoling to a person when they're not picked. It's like, well, thanks, but no thanks. Now, I, I, the best things that happen in life are sometimes the things that don't happen. It's when we fall short, your character takes a trajectory up. Hmm. Uh, so let's go back to Galatians chapter 5, 23. We can look at it, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And you know, when I look at the fruit of the Spirit, that which grows godliness... The fruit of the Spirit, I look at every one of them and they can't grow unless they are in adverse circumstances. Character can't be developed unless it's in adverse circumstances. I go down through the fruit of the Spirit, there's nine of them. Love. Well, how does love grow? Well, love doesn't grow because of feeling good and mushy. Love grows when you are committed and you stay with it. And the actual definition of love is unconditional commitment doesn't have anything to do with warm fuzzies. And joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is when you are around joylessness. And the next one is peace. And peace is not simply a truce from, from war. Peace is something deep. And peace has to be in an environment of hostility. That's where peace comes out. And patience. Oh, need we talk about patience? Patience, how do you develop patience? We all know the answer to that one. No one prays for patience because it's painful. And yet it's a fruit. Kindness in the midst of hostility. Goodness in the midst of ugliness and cruelty. And then goodness grows. And faithfulness when there's unfaithfulness and disloyalty and gentleness when there's abusiveness and self-control. Ooh, who wants to grow in self-control? Because that means someone else is exercising authority over you and mandating it on you. So, Barsabbas, the best things that happen in life are sometimes the things that do not happen. I would, I would give that instruction. I've, Barsabbas, there's another one that comes to my mind. Barsabbas, as we're sitting there talking, Barsabbas, the will of God is sometimes the wall of God. The will of God is sometimes the wall. Have you ever read the scripture, God loves those he disciplines? It's all over the Bible. God loves those he disciplines. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves... And he chastens everyone he accepts as his sons. God disciplines those he loves. Proverbs 3.12 Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father to the son he delights in. He disciplines those he loves. And we know that as parents that it requires discipline. We love them. And if we love them, we just don't let bedlam happen. 
We just don't let circumstance dictate what's going to take place next. We actually get involved and we end up standing as a wall in situations. And they see it as a wall and they hate us for it. But we love them. He chastens those he loves. Anybody here experience, like myself and my wife, the joys of being spanked as a child? Okay? The rest of you, oh, you missed out on it. You missed out on it. The joys of being spanked. Robert, were you spanked as a child? Okay, I'm glad. Okay. So, the joys of being spanked as a child. Uh, I received my fair share. I know it's hard to believe. I received my fair share of spankings. My parents were Christians. And, and I'm going to say it straight up. My parents never spanked me wrongly. I'm going to say that straight up. I respect them this day because of what they did. They would do every other method, but there came where my defiance rose so stark, there had to be a little pain to the seat of understanding. They never once, never once, never once, I don't remember once, and I know not everybody can say this, and that's, that's, that's sad. Never once did they spank me in pure anger. Never once did they spank me in a knee-jerk reaction. It was always methodic. As a matter of fact, the spanking always came a little bit later. That was the worst, waiting for the spanking. You know, just like you dreaded the spanking, right? Just waiting for it. It was never abusive. It was never overdone. There were many tears shed. And in the process of it, they would often say, I do this because I love you. And I would say, I wish you would stop loving me so much. Right? You've ever had them tell you this? It hurts me more than it hurts you. Now, as a kid, I didn't believe that for a second. Because this really hurts, and I don't see you hurting. But then I became a parent. And I began to understand what they meant. God loves those he disciplines. Barsabbas, Barsabbas, the will of God is sometimes the wall of God. It's when you hit a wall. It's sometimes the wall of God. Part of discipline is that when you cannot easily find God, when you cannot easily hear God, you can't hear Him, you can't see Him, but in that process, in that wall that you have hit, it causes you to begin to pursue Him with a fervency that you had never known before. The wall causes you to go deeper. And if it weren't for the wall, you wouldn't know how much he loves you. Barsabbas. The will of God sometimes is the wall of God. I think the third one I would tell him is, we tend to learn far more from the word no than we do from the word yes. We get that? Our hearts are tested by disappointments. I remember somebody telling me once, he was a coach, and he says, we don't do people a service. If you're a coach, if you're working with people in athletic areas, simply to teach them how to win. You need to teach them how to lose. Don't teach them to lose. There's a difference. But teach them how to lose. How to lose graciously. Because the reality in life, you're going to lose more than you win. And if you don't teach the people around you how to lose well, you haven't done your job. Learn to lose well. Learn to lose with character and grace. Because you will spend a lot of your life losing. <laughs> it just is. And when you win, you celebrate. But you don't celebrate on the, on, the, on the people that have lost. You celebrate for simply the celebration's worth. We come to this. We tend to learn far more from the word no. When we get a no than from the word yes. Our hearts are tested in times of disappointment. What good purpose could this story with Barsabbas what good purpose could this be for Barsabbas? I mean, why God? Why God would you bait him to burst his bubble? Why not just have one candidate to start with? Why take the risk of hurting someone? Yes, the story teaches us that God can see where we cannot. And yes, it teaches us that there are standards and there are qualifications for those who lead. And they need to be high qualifications. I believe that. Yes. But I believe speaking even louder in this story this morning 
speaks even louder through Barsabbas that we must triumph over times of personal disappointment. We have to triumph. Over those times when we are certain God has opened a door, He has made a way, we have shared our heart, and then the door never really did open. And we're thoroughly disappointed. It can leave you so disillusioned. And listen, there are those here today, I'm going to hazard just because of the crowd, there are those who are disillusioned this very minute with God because of that. Barsabbas, we tend to learn far more from the word no than we do from the word yes. There's been a number of times, and I'm not going to take the time to tell the stories. Those are more private times. But here's the key scripture I'm going to give you today. It's a scripture that many of you have heard, maybe memorized. Some, maybe this is new. But I'm going to challenge this scripture in a new way. Here's the scripture, Romans chapter 8, 28. Let's read it. Romans 8, 28. Can we all read it together? Let's do it. God causes all things, everybody together, one voice. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I'm reading a book, and this is causing me to do this next part here. I'm reading a book by Michael Card. Anybody know the gospel singer-songwriter Michael Card? Okay. Uh, and, and phenomenal writer and singer and composer. And he, he coaches song leader. And he's written a book. And the book talks, basically it's, it's around the theme that God has made every single person artistic and highly creative. Now, I don't consider myself very artistic and highly creative. Uh, but I'm almost done the book, and I'm starting to believe it, that we need to allow, we need to embrace the creativity God has given each one of us. Embrace the creativity. And of course, he's an artist. He's, he's a composer. He's a writer. He's a, he's a musician. He's, he's, you know, he's artsy. But all of us are in different ways. All of us. And it's really opening my heart to God's creativeness. Because isn't God creative? What, what does it say in the very first? God created everything. And he still creates this day. It's who he is. And so if God, if that is who he is, and he's my dad and I'm his son, then inherent in me is some creative abilities there. So embrace, what is he creating? I don't have to be cookie cutter to anybody else. He's created something unique in me. Rise up, rise up. So I've been reading this book, and so here's, we're going to do a little something that's my, it's, it, creative. Um, so let's start here. Uh, I've, I want you to imagine with me that you are looking at a beautiful painting, outdoor landscapes. Can we put the, the pictures up? Do we have pictures? They are coming. Okay, so maybe they will come. All right. We will see. Let me know. Somebody indicate because I can't see behind me. My mom could. I grew up, my mom had eyes behind her. But I never, I never had eyes behind me. So somebody let me know if it pops up behind me. So we're going to imagine a creative, creative painting, landscape, something beautiful. And I'm always drawn to that. When I go into stores, Lori knows. Is it up? Nope, it's not up. It almost is. Okay. Sure it was. <laughs> You're just taunting me. Yeah, right. I've always drawn to look at beautiful art, landscapes. Am I supposed to look now? You're not messing with me? Okay. Okay. All right. Keep rolling. Okay. Can we just stop on that one? We'll stop on that one. So I want you to look at this particular rendering. There's a number of renderings. I had a few I had thrown out to our creative team saying, if, if these work, not always do they work. And so sometimes they have to pull some other pictures in. Want you to, I want you to focus on this. Now, uh, it can be this picture here. Or it can be, you, can, you, can let, you can add to it if you want. I, if I was adding to that, I'd add... I'd pull back a bit. I'd have maybe a metal as well. Um, see trees from a distance. I'd like to have some mountains maybe in the picture. Uh, I'd like to have some um, 
maybe some pathways that you could see, and, and just add ever all that stuff. I'll just have everything in that picture. Um, maybe you'd have a, a few of God's little creative creatures in there, you know, a rabbit or something, a bug, uh, and just something in the picture. Just it's God's landscape. So the artist, when an artist puts something together, the artist painstakingly paints the things together. I want, I want this picture right here because I want you to notice the rocks. And those rocks are placed strategically in order to... Now, this is actually a picture, I would think. I don't know if this is actually an artist's rendering. But if an artist had done this, they would place the rocks strategically and they would outline them and they all have their place in the portrait. Now, I want you to pick four rocks in the picture. Four disconnected rocks. Just go ahead, find them. And burn them into your memory there. It can be a short-term memory. You don't have to remember this tomorrow. Short-term memory. Burn them into your memory. You got the four rocks? Because we're going to lose the picture in a second. You know where they are. So in your mind's eye, four rocks. Four rocks. Okay, so let's lose this. Let's go to the, the one that just has a canvas, empty canvas. Can we go to that one? Okay, so just a, it's a screen, but picture a canvas. It's a painter's canvas. Now we're going to paint today. Obviously, you can't actually do this, so we're going to just work with me. Remember, we're creative. You have canvas. I want you to put your four rocks into this white canvas, just in your mind's eye. We're not going to actually do it. Put your rocks up. Have you got your rocks there? Got your rocks there? It's important to put your rocks on this canvas. Now, just those rocks make no sense. Just those rocks make no sense. I mean... Nobody's going to buy it for those rocks. Just four rocks. Now, I want these four rocks to represent something. Let's say these four rocks represent... This is your, this is your life. This is you. This canvas is you. You have four rocks. Let's say these four rocks represent your failures. Your failures. Now, I want you to think for a second. What are they? Your greatest most horrible failures. You don't have to tell me out loud, but in your mind, begin to identify those. You see the, those rocks. You can see the rocks up there, right? In your mind's eye. So begin to identify the failures. Maybe your failure, maybe your failure was your marriage. It's your marriage. There it is. It's one of them. Maybe your failure was your career. Great aspirations, expectations didn't happen. Failed. Maybe it was in school. There's a lot of belief you were going to rise up, you're going to be something, you're going to mount to something. Your brother did, your sister did, your cousin did. You? You failed. Where was the failure? So maybe the four rocks, this is your canvas. All it is, four rocks. Your four rocks. Maybe it's not failure, maybe it's disappointments. Maybe those rocks represent your greatest disappointments. Your, um, your kids, you failed them. And uh, what a disappointment. Huge, maybe you as a child, you've disappointed your mom and dad. You never measured up to what you should have measured up. That is your life, disappointment. So identify, has there been disappointment, deep disappointments in your life? Maybe career, you're not working, your spouse is bringing all the income in, and you're just a disappointment to your husband. You're just such a disappointment to your wife. Where's the disappointment lie? Maybe, maybe the disappointment to God. You have, you've let God down. You're doing nothing for the kingdom, and you know it. And you, it's, you would put that, that as one of your disappointments. Four rocks. Let's do another one. Maybe it's, maybe it's rejections. Maybe the rocks are rejections. You've been rejected. Barsabbas, that would be his. That day he was deeply rejected. He was deeply rejected. That's a rock. So these four rocks on the canvas, these four rocks, this is your life. The canvas is your life. The four rocks are your greatest failures, disappointments, and rejections. Events that will never be washed away from your awareness. You will always know them. Four rocks standing alone on this canvas. A painting like that to others is worthless. But God says, Romans 8, 28, that 
all things work together for good to those who love him. That in your love and relationship to him, he gets a hold of these rocks. Failures, disappointments, rejections. And the loving God begins as a master artist. Our Lord begins to approach this crude canvas as you give him permission as Lord. Lord, paint on my canvas my failures, my disappointments, my disillusions, my rejections. Paint, oh God. You've just got four ugly rocks to work with. When we love God, Jesus the Master begins to paint between the stones. And we ask him, just, just paint over it. Just paint over that stone. Picture, picture one. Jesus, paint over it. I don't want that failed marriage to ever be seen again. Paint over it, would you? Would you paint over my family situation? Would you paint over what I've done in, in my career or the lack of it? Would you paint over, oh God, just paint, paint, paint over the whole bunch. And he won't. He won't. He refuses to paint over your stones. They're there. And at first it's impossible to tell what Jesus is painting as we give our lives to him. It feels more confusing than clarifying. Oh, the rocks are glaring at us, but the rest is kind of foggy. At least when we just had the rocks, we could talk about the rocks. When we just had the rocks by themselves, we could organize our rocks in a way that we could explain our rocks to other people. They were painful, but we could explain them. But Jesus is painting when we give our life. All things work together for good, he says. He takes the things, the rocks, and he begins to paint between the rocks. He doesn't get rid of them, doesn't remove them, doesn't paint over top of them. He paints in the blank spaces something brand new. The rocks remain untouched. And as Jesus paints, the canvas begins to take beauty. Substance comes out. Now purpose comes out. You see, the rocks by themselves make no sense. But when you place the rocks in the stream, when you place the rocks in the meadow, when you place the rocks on the side of the hill, when you place the rocks by the path, oh, they make sense now. He puts the rest around the scene. Now it has purpose. And a great miracle begins to unfold when Jesus is our master workman. His mercy... In his mercy, Jesus chooses to integrate the original stones from our past into the current and future picture of our lives. I'm going to repeat that because it's worth saying. Jesus, in his mercy, chooses to integrate the original stones from your past. We identified what those were. Into the current and future picture of your lives. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. And it goes on and on, but the artist continues to work. You wonder why he forgives the sin but leaves the stones. Hmm. Well, why? Well, the answer is because he promises to use all things. He never promised to take them away. He promises to use them. Are you following with me? He uses all things. In other words, he takes your painful history and through grace, he incorporates it into a master portrait. No longer are, is your story a story of disconnected stones. You are now a beautiful portrait of grace. And the stones are included. They're there. Every time you look at it, your eyes will probably land on the stones. And then your eyes flow to the rest of the picture. How he made beauty from ashes. The details and the value of the portrait is now priceless. He will use all things together for his good. The painful things, the broken things, the rejected things, all of it. All of it. So Barsabbas, Barsabbas, uh, God picked someone else this day. It's okay. Because he uses today, the day you never got picked. For his great purpose. And he's going to continue to paint between this. And there's going to be something grow out of this. 
that is going to be a masterpiece. He's not going to get rid of it. He's going to paint around it and create his priceless masterpiece. This Barsabbas is what Jesus did that day. Now again, I, I don't imagine Barsabbas probably made such a big deal like I made of it today. Uh, but I do believe Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. According to his purpose. His name actually didn't disappear. When I was reading this story, I, I was intrigued because I got a cross-reference. His name comes up again. Number of chapters later, as a matter of fact, you go over to chapter 15, his name pops up again. Uh, what happens in chapter 15, uh, we have here uh, a delegation of highly loving and sensitive individuals are handpicked to deliver important documents on behalf of the leadership of the church. And Barsabbas, you're one of them. We pick it up. Acts 15, 22, it says, Then the elders, the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men, send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose, here it is, Barsabbas and Silas. They were leaders amongst the brethren. No, you didn't make the 12. And by the way, that's a little overrated. According to Jewish tradition, Matthias was stoned to death not too long after. It was a tough job. Sabbath, you're going from church to church, encouraging the churches with the good news of Jesus. We come back, it could have all fallen apart when he wasn't chosen, when it didn't bounce his way. Beloved, this morning, I think that's the message here, isn't it? The rocks, the stones, the things that are ugly. And we just, we, we try to ignore it. We try to we, just paint over it. But he says all things will work together. His grace is he connects it all together. He doesn't eliminate them. He uses them for his kingdom purpose. And some of you have just been falling into defeat. You've, you've not believed his good purposes are for you you've not risen up to that this morning i would just want to let's believe this is the word of the holy spirit all things work together for good to those who love him he's working it together now place your faith back into him invite the worship team to come father in heaven lord we just commit this word to you today that, Lord, the story of Barsabbas is a story of our life. Our name could be there. And these stones that we were looking at are stones of our failures and disappointments and rejections. They're the things that give us pain. We wish we couldn't even remember them. And yet, God, you are calling us to that place of trusting you to complete that great masterpiece in our hearts, in our lives. You are working it all together. You are placing those in the frame of a beautiful picture. Lord, that picture wouldn't be so beautiful if it weren't for those stones. Those stones make the picture. It's because your grace is in the midst of it. Grant that today, I pray. Lord, I, there are those that have, have bought into this, that, that they've been overlooked. Others have been chosen that... Lord, we can identify in some part of this. And Lord, I pray, bring healing. I pray that you would stir our faith up to believe that you have not forsaken us. And that, God, we continue we, today, maybe afresh, today, we firmly place our faith back in you. Back in you. And we grab a hold of Romans 8, 28. That becomes our verse. You are filling in between the, the stones of our life. Grant that this day. Healing. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. There's a song the worship team's going to lead you in. The words, Christ is my reward, all my devotion. There's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Through every trial, you can put rock. Through every rock, my soul will sing. No turning back. I've been set free. The next verse says, Christ is my all in all, the joy of my salvation. And this hope will never fail, for heaven is our home. Through every storm, my soul will sing, Jesus is here to God be the glory. Christ is enough for me. 
Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. And then we come to that part of the song. I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. I turn around. Maybe you've not been. Maybe you've dropped it. I today, I get back up. I decide to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I invite you. Would you join in standing? The worship team leads us in this song. Christ is enough. Christ is my reward. Not my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Turning 
identified you have made beautiful it's because of you and so Lord we resubmit ourselves God get us out of whatever funk we might be in <laughs> Lord the devil would want to accuse us he would want to beat us down he would want us to wallow in pity no way no way God not one man not one woman not one teenager not one online person we are not going to wallow in the mire of what the enemy has set the trap for. God, whatever has happened, God, you will bring about for your good pleasure. And so, Lord, we fully turn our hearts, our purpose, our desires, our affections back to you. We get back up and we do what you've called us to do. Repurpose us, God, for your great kingdom's sake. God, you've still got something great planned. And, Lord, you are developing all those character parts of our of our mental part, our bodies, our, our future. You're developing all that. And so, Lord, uh, there are no seconds in your kingdom that you don't raise up and make number one. We're your children, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.